0: So usually when I'm up here, if you've been coming, I'm, I'm preaching on Daniel. And I'm just going to be super upfront. Uh, the first part of Daniel is not like the last part of Daniel, if you're familiar with the book. And it's, it's a little difficult uh, to work through, so I'm, I'm really taking my time. And so uh, I'm just going to jump in to 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 today. Uh, but we, we, will, we will finish Daniel. We're not going to just shy away from passages because they're difficult. I just just need some more time. And and again, if you have any resources or anything, a a couple people did share some things last time I I said that. So uh, feel free to send them my way. However, we are in 1 Corinthians 13 13 this week. Last week, Rob did a really good job of walking us through uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where we see that being a part of the church body matters. And, And when we're a part of this body, we are given gifts through the Holy Spirit. And we use these gifts to build up the body. This week, we're going to be in chapter 13. And, and chapter 13 isn't this like random poem or, or this random encouragement thrown in the middle of these two chapters, 12 and, and 14, on spiritual gifts. But rather, it's, it's the essential passage on how we use our spiritual giftness, uh, giftedness within the t- context of the church and, and really just how we love others within the church. And so we can't ignore the passages around it when we, when we look at first. Corinthians. Corinthians 13. So I'm going to read the passage and then we're going to pray and then we're just going to jump on in. So feel free to turn there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's uh, Bibles under the seat. And, and if you also don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of those Bibles home. That would be our gift to you. We, we would love for you to have a Bible. So 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Uh, Dear Lord, we come to this passage and it's very evident that no one sitting here can walk through what it means to love and check all of these off and say, I've got this handled. God, we come to this passage. I pray that we would come to it humbly, that we would understand that the only person in the entire world I can check these off as Christ. God, help us to then submit the ways that we have failed to Christ and walk with the Holy Spirit pursuing love the way that it's laid out here. God, I pray for our world. We live in a world that we see so much absence of love. Even as, as we see more Russian forces on on the border of Ukraine and, and, and the people and the situations that have happened over there, God, we pray for the Ukrainian people. We pray for comfort. We also pray for the Russian people. We pray for Putin. We pray that he would repent of his sin. God, this is just one example in a long list of ways that love is absent, that you are absent in the hearts of many people within the world. God, we pray for the world leaders. God, we also pray for the churches. We pray that the local churches would, would look at this passage, that their congregations would follow what it says to do here, and that through the grace of, of, the, of what Christ did on the cross, we'd be able to submit and, and love the way that it's laid out here. Uh, Lord, be with me as I speak. I pray that you'll help me to speak clearly um, that your words, It'll be your words and your thoughts, and, uh, that all the glory will go to you. We love you Lord. Amen. <laughs> Alright, so I'm gonna take you back to 2002. 2002, one of the most instrumental years of my life. Spider-Man came out. The first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. And this led to this just long line of awesome Spider-Man movies. I don't care if it's Tobey or uh, the other guy, I don't, I can't remember his name, um, Andrew Garfield or, or Tom Holland, right? All of these Spider-Man movies are sweet. I, I enjoy them all. And and if you don't know who Spider-Man is, I'm first going to ask you, where have you been since 2002? And and secondly, um, I, I'll just tell you, Spider-Man is a boy, and uh, he was in, in these comics and in these movies. He he gets bitten with this radioactive spider, and he turns into this like crazy. Uh, super strong, web swinging, really high jump and climb on walls. Guy that fights crime in New York City. And and uh, throughout the course of most of these movies, Spider-Man starts to realize that these powers that he gets aren't just to have fun, to go be like really good on the football team or something. But but we hear one of the best lines ever delivered in, in a movie. I, w- I would argue that um, in most of these movies, his Aunt May at some point will look at him. And she'll say, with great power comes great responsibility. And really, and I know you're thinking like, why are you talking about Spider-Man right now? I don't, I don't think when we look at the, the point of this passage, it's, it's that different, right? We look at 1 Corinthians 13, and, and on the surface, a lot of times, we, we just think it's this poetic, happy thing that we can read at weddings, and, it, and it's really encouraging. But really, if you dig into it, it's so much more than that. It's, it's this call. It's a challenge, right? There is, there is a responsibility as Christians to love the way that it lays out here. Contextually, right, we need to make sure we, we put it in the right context, and, and we're going to do that. We're going to get into that. Contextually, it's, it's within the church, but, but it's not limited there, right? We don't walk out these church doors and throw away everything we learn in 1 Corinthians 13. And just like Peter Parker... Spider-Man, if you don't know, Peter Parker, he had this lofty responsibility to protect all of New York City. We have a pretty important call here to love the way that it's laid out. But also, just like Spider-Man, there's absolutely no way he can accomplish his, his goal to protect New York City without this like uh, radioactive spider venom coursing through his veins. We can't. Even touch this passage without Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the gift of the Holy Spirit coursing through ours. Now, I, I didn't. A couple of our guys were able to go to this preacher one hundred and one. These classes, I've I've never been able to take um, any of those, uh, like like how to preach classes. I'm I'm sure they're really helpful. But I know from talking with guys who preach and and things like that, you you really want to nail home the gospel at the end end of your sermon. But I think it would be irresponsible for us to not nail home the gospel before because if we don't nail home the fact that when we read what how we're supposed to love, we might get this, this idea in our head that this is something we just have to like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do, but there is absolutely no way we can fulfill these things. The only person in the entire world that can look at this list and check it off, yeah, my love is patient, yeah, my love is kind is Jesus Christ. And if we don't understand that, we're going to fall into that temptation of, of either, I'm like, it's really, really terrible and I'll never meet up to this, or I have to do this on my own. So we have to understand that the only one who can do this is Christ. And that it's only through Christ that we can pursue these things. Right? I mean, I mean if we read verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy and boast. And like we don't even have to finish verse 4, and we already know that we have failed at this so many times. I think if we really quick zoom back and we look at Ezekiel 36, 22 through 27, we'll kind of see this picture laid out for us, right? 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, that I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't sound like someone who is operating with a heart of stone. And it's not until we understand that we absolutely do have hearts of stone and we need Christ to to take our heart of stone and to put a heart heart of flesh in it, to have the spirit in us that we can start pursuing the love that we have here. We must first understand that we have failed at this before we can pursue these things. And most importantly, we have to understand that the only one who does it perfectly is Christ. Because here's the thing, we're not talking about this like cheap, worldly definition of love, right? This isn't how you feel about someone, the feelings you get when when you meet your spouse for the first time or something. It's not about the, this, this inclusivity of everyone, right? That's, that may be what the world would define love as right now, but that's not what's defined here. Or this, this what's really rampant right now, this, this selfish, bogus love we call self-love, right? I'm just going to love myself the way I am, right? That's not what is laid out here. The word that we see in this text is Agape. And this agape love, if you're unfamiliar, you may, you may be, but if you're not, it's this, it's this selfless laying down your life for the sake of others' love. And it's best exemplified, the best act of this, is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Right? You want to see agape love, look at what Christ did on the cross. It's this love that you give despite getting nothing in return, and, and it's the love that we got despite having absolutely nothing to give. So, let's keep these three things in mind, right? This isn't just a poetic encouragement, right? It's a call. It's a call to Christians. It's a call to, number two, it's a call to love God, or sorry, it's a call that we are to love with a godly, self-sacrificial love. and, And most importantly, we can't do this without Christ, without His act of love on the cross, and without the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's keep these three things in mind, as we kind of break down this text so so again before we actually break down the text so let 's look at the passage and see what Paul is calling the Corinthian church to do let 's understand this in in the proper context, and then when we understand it in the proper context we can we can apply it to our church so we know that Corinth was was a church that was filled with division right if you haven't been able to attend um, the last couple of weeks we 've just been breaking that down and, and Week after week, we see the Corinthian church had a lot of areas where they were divided. They were divided in who they were following. They were divided in how they were taking the Lord's Supper. Uh, but they were also divided in who was more important or, or what gift was more important, what gift serves the body better. And, and in 12, Paul addresses those questions and divisions. He makes this point that, that we're one body with one spirit, which all these gifts come from. And here, in 13, we see Paul telling them that, yes, yes, we're one body, but we're going to go, and, and, and all these gifts come from one spirit, but we're going to go back to, like, the fundamentals here, right? I'm, I'm a soccer coach. I coach for um, a high school that I teach at. So I'm a teacher. I'm not like a, and I'm a teacher that coaches. Uh, but all my students that go to my school have usually never touched a soccer ball before they get to high school, right? Where I'm at, just culturally, you play football, basketball, that's it. And so a lot of the, the guys that I get just have never touched the soccer ball. And so I'll be doing these drills sometimes, and we'll be out on the field, and, and I'll just be like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Like, we, we, we can't even pass the ball. So I just say, all right, forget this. Everyone bring it in. Grab a partner, five yards apart. We're just going to pass the ball for, like, 30 minutes, right? Kick the ball in the middle. Like, we don't have to get in all that. But we get back to the fundamentals. And and when I was reading and and praying over this passage, I wonder if Paul was was writing to the Corinthians and he just got to this point, right? He's addressing all these concerns because the Corinthians had wrote to him and he's addressing all these concerns. And I just wonder if he got to the point where he's like, stop. (laughs) Let's just get back to the fundamentals, right? Let's go back to the fundamental thing. The way we should be relating to each other within the church is love. And then he lays it out. And if we break this into three sections, it might help us understand it a little bit better. So three points that we're going to be going through today is why love matters, what love looks like, and then love never ends. So knowing, right, we need need to make sure that we keep this in our head, right? This passage was written to the Corinthians about how they should be relating to each other, about how they should be using their spiritual gifts. Knowing this, What does Paul say? Why does love matter? I'm going to read one through three again. That's where we're going to be for this this first point, so just so it's fresh in our minds. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Why does love matter? Because everything that we do that's not in the vein of this agape love is nothing. If we go back to chapter 12, we'll see Paul tell the Corinthians 1-4, through right? Hey, just summarizing here. Hey, these gifts that you have, all these gifts are from the same spirit, right? They're all for serving the same Lord. And then verse 7, he talks about the common good. Well, if you take that within the passage of 12, you'll look, what, what's the common good? The common good is, is building up the church, right? Your gifts are for building up the church. Ultimately, that's going to produce a healthy church. And, and healthy churches glorify God, right? They bring glory to God. And so, so this, this overarching common good that we see is, is, is our church should, should glorify God, right? Your life should glorify God. And if you're glorifying, Paul's, Paul's telling the Corinthians, if you're glorifying yourself with your spiritual gifts, then you don't get this. You're not doing these things out of love. You're not doing these things out of, out of service to your church. And then everything you're doing, your service to your church, is nothing. And in fact, in, in some cases, he says it's more than nothing, it's annoying, right? It's this clanging gong, or, or noisy gong, or, or clanging cymbal. That, that's a tough thing to read when you know that you're about to go, get in front of a church and preach, right? If, if, you, if you take the pulpit to preach God's word, And you don't feel the weight of verse one, then I don't think you understand the weight of the pulpit. Yet, Paul Paul is is referring to these people that are claiming these languages, earthly languages, heavenly languages. I'll I'll let Paul I mean not I'll let uh, Rob really break down the tongues and things like that in in chapter fourteen. But but you you can't help but read this and think that teaching and, and, and preaching can't is is not included, right? you can be I can be the most engaging preacher I can, I can look at passages and say hey what's going to get people riled up but if it's just to, to get like an attaboy if in the back of your head you're, you're like man I hope people say good job which is, is something I think that that pastors and preachers absolutely have to wrestle with and fight with right if that's the reason that you're breaking down the text to get up and preach then your words are annoying they're, they're a, they're a a gong, they're a symbol, right? I don't, I don't think we need a, an illustration to understand just like pounding on a gong over and over again. Listen, I, I absolutely like, I love being a dad. I absolutely love being a dad. But there, there are times where like your baby's just crying over and over again, or in my wife I's case, the monitor, Rosie's monitor is just going off over, and over and again, and I just want to bang my head on a wall. Um, but. I, but that's not how we want to be as Christians, right? When we speak to others, we don't, we don't want to make people bang their head on a wall because everything we do isn't out of love. So then we see Him address prophecy and, and understanding and faith. And if, if, you, if you come to church and you, you could say, Hey, I think this person... Needs to hear this. And you could, you could speak so prophetically into their lives, right? Say exactly what that person needs to hear in that exact time. But it's, if it's out of anything except love, if it's out of to somehow elevate yourself or boast to yourself, then, then it's nothing, right? Paul tells us it's nothing. And so he's telling the Corinthian church, you keep using your gifts to, to build yourself up and it's nothing, right? It's not what they're there for. I could walk in here with Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, slam it down on the table, and recite the entire thing, right? Memorized. I could, I could be the most well-versed person on soteriology, eschatology, pneumatology, but if it's not out of love, then all that information you have, every theological viewpoint and, and all the understanding of these, these deep things, which we should pursue and we should understand, but if it's not out of love, then it's nothing. And then he gets to actions, right, to, to, to allow your body to be burned. One, one tool that I really like to use when I'm preaching, just kind of the first place I start, um, is just the ESV Study Bible. It's, it gives you some quick commentaries. And so if, if you have one of those and you're looking to understand text and things like that, just if you don't have one, just Barnes & Noble, I think for like 50 bucks, and, it's a really, really good tool for to, to kind of give you a starting point when understanding passages. And, and something that it pointed out um, really hit me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We, we were walking through Daniel. They, they deliver their bodies up to be burned. And if they wouldn't have done it out of love, then that's nothing, right? Our actions are nothing if they're not out of love. If, if for some reason you're giving all you have, but it's so you look good. You could even sacrifice your life, right? We could have an active shooter coming to the church and, and you jump in front of the bullet. But again, if it's to somehow make people look at you and, and to bolster yourself up, it's, then, it's, then, then Paul tells us it's nothing. Why love though? Why, why is love this, this driving force? Well, when you look at this word agape, the, the, the agape love that we defined earlier, this laying down your life, again, best exemplified on the cross, then any other motive for doing these things would somehow be selfish, right? It wouldn't be for the purpose of, of glorifying God. So unless, the, unless love is the root, then, then these things are just made, these things we do are, are just to make us look good or to get some kind of position or something like that. And so these, these Corinthian Christians, they're, they're trying to bolster themselves with these spiritual gifts and Paul just continues to tell them, hey, this like, weird game you're playing of, hey, I speak in tongues, so I'm, I'm like one of the most important people in the church, right? He's saying, no, it's not the purpose. <clears throat> Do we need a, another reason that, that love matters? Well, as a Christian, it's because Jesus commands us to. And it's really not another reason, right? Paul's just expounding on the command Jesus gives. But John thirteen thirty-five or 34-35 through 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. right? The mark of someone following Christ is their love. Imagine dying and then facing God and hearing that everything you built, every sacrifice you made, every way that you served the church was nothing because it wasn't done out of love. That, that's convicting. Right? I, I was like, wildly convicted when looking at this passage. So clearly we're called to love. Jesus commands it. Paul expounds on it. So what does it look like? What does this agape love look like? I think verses 4-7 through seven paint a pretty clear picture here. We're going to read them again. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this list here, commentators point out that this list here, right, these words that we hear are um, verbs, right? They're actions, so, so it's, it's if you have love, if you have this love, this is what you're doing, right? And so I think something helpful would just be be to take these words, because, because what Paul's telling the Corinthian church is, he's saying, hey, if you have love in your hearts as, as, a, as, as people within the church, then this is what is gonna be happening, right? This is what will be happening. These are actions that will be taking place within your church. Paul's trying to pound that home and and so I think it'd be, uh, well first, I, I think that, understanding that, right? Understanding this is to the Corinthian church, talking to them, it's absolutely applicable to citizens, right? Paul's telling him, hey, this is what your church should look like. These are the actions that should be taking place in your church. Hey, citizens, this is what your church should look like. These are the actions that should be taking place within your church. And so then when, when, when you read it and you realize like this applies to you, it's a really, really tough passage to read. But if we look at it in the context of the gospel, it's a beautiful passage to read. Right? You want to see love in action? When you go home today, go read the gospels. Just read Jesus' life. You will see all of these laid out in Jesus' life perfectly. And so again, when we get into this list, right, we're going to just look at all these words briefly because we don't have a ton of time, but when we go through them, we have to keep reminding ourselves that the only person who can do these perfectly, the only person who did these perfectly, who does these perfectly, is Christ. And then again, it's through what Christ did and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we, we can pursue these. So the first word that we see here is patience. And so... Uh, Patience might be, so I was reading a couple articles and it points you to the King James, right? Patience might be a little better defined there. Uh, The King James translation says, charity suffereth long, right? Charity suffereth long. And so instead, it's not this situational, like, I know we've all been there, right? Uh, My wife and I met up with some college friends yesterday and we were waiting for a table at BJ's in Polaris. And it took a long time to get the table. And it took a long time to get our food. And I'm really, really hungry. I hadn't eaten anything at all that day. And it was like 3 o'clock. And I was like, you know what? Like, I mean, I I try not to make a habit of this. But I was like, I know I'm hungry, but I'm not going to be mean to my server, right? Like, we're going to sit there, we're going to be patient. We're going to wait patiently, right? I'm telling Kai, hey, you need to wait patiently, right? That's not necessarily the the patience, right? The situational patience. This is patience with with people that lasts, lasts, right? This long-suffereth patience. It's a patience that, that bears with people, right? I think one place that you, you can kind of look to the Bible and see this is God's patience with, with Israel. They rejected Him so many times, and, and he's, he's patient with them, Right? This idea that you bear with someone even when they have nothing to give you, right? Israel has nothing to offer God and He's still patient with them to bring them to repentance. And how long do we do this? I don't know if I can give you like a straight time stamp, but I do know if the perfect God of the universe is patient with these pagan cultures in the Old Testament times, right? If He's patient with Israel, His people who reject Him, if He's patient with early churches that clearly had a lot of stuff going on and he's patient with us. If we just think about our lives we know we have sin in our lives and I think it's far be it from us to, to say nah this brother sister is a little too much for me. Right? Patience This this idea. Love suffereth long. This includes bearing with your brothers and sisters in Christ Right? We're all sinful people in this church. We are bound at some point to do something that's going to hurt or harm someone else. And this includes that situation. It absolutely includes your spouse. Right? I know sometimes we give this caveat. Like, you gotta look at it in the context, like you can't read it at your wedding. But when we understand it in the context, it's absolutely applicable to our marriages, right? This includes. Bearing with your spouse in times when they've wronged you in ways that you probably never imagined they would when you first got married. It includes bearing with your children even when they reject everything that you have taught them. And then, I, I think it's, it's, it's okay to say, so we're supposed to suffereth long, right? We're supposed to bear with people in patience, and then how do we do this? Paul gives, a, gives us a bunch of, of descriptions as to how we do this, right? We're supposed to do this long, with patience. Well, how? The first word we see is kindness. I'm going to be honest. I, I struggled to write. I was praying through this. I was reading through this. I read it a bunch of times, and I struggled to say anything other than what Paul said. Love is kind. I didn't, I didn't know what to say. Yeah, be kind. Like, Love is kind. Um, and then I was, I was listening to a couple sermons, and and uh, when I'm done, I like to listen to a couple guys who preach on this just to make sure there's nothing glaring or or some other viewpoints, right? And and uh, there was there was a pastor I was listening to and I, and I really liked his, his take on this. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, it, it, what, I, my boy, I, I really like Alistair Begg. I want to make a caveat. I look at a lot of other people than just Begg. The only reason I'm saying that, not to say like, oh, look at Ben, but like you shouldn't get all your information on a text from one person, right? You should look at, different commentaries, and, and we'll first look at the Bible and pray through it, and then look at different commentaries, listen to different pastors. And, and, and I did, I just so happened I really liked Peg's point again, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, full cards on the table. He says that being kind is strength rather than weakness. It shows toughness. To love someone with kindness shows toughness. You want to be tough? Be kind, Right? I teach in, in an inner city school and I'm telling you like there's days where I break up like three fights a day, right, just people beating each other up and I'm pulling them apart and it's crazy. And so teaching the, the soccer guys on my, my team that when like the other team trash talks you, you don't have to trash talk them back is, is a really, really tough thing to do. Um, trying to teach them to be kind is, is hard. Sometimes I'm not the most kind. <laughs> I don't tell them to be kind in the most kind way, right? Hey, don't punch that guy! <laughs> like, sometimes I have to be a little aggressive with it, but um, again, these passages are convicting for me. But but there was one instance where one of my players actually listened, right? He was on the field and, and someone was just hounding him all game. And I, I gave him one of those looks that you kind of develop as a parent where like, you don't have to say anything, but you just kind of look and you like raise your eyebrows and they like know exactly what you're thinking and, and, and my boy, my player, he was, he was like, uh, he, he, he wanted to hit this guy and I just looked at him, come on, come on, and, uh, and he did a really good job. But it was a beautiful picture of how kindness is tough, right? He literally was walking like through the field, fist clenched, like the cartoons where smokes coming out of the ears and their face turned red and the eyes bulge out. Like that is my, 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 my player in this moment, fist clenched, fuming. Because it's tough to be kind, the hardest thing to do sometimes when we're loving sinful people is to be kind. But that's absolutely what we're called to do. And I think we got to ask ourselves, right? Would the people closest to us in our life describe us as kind? And if not, what does that say about the love we're showing them? The next word we get is envy. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but But just know that this long-suffering, kind, self-sacrificial love isn't worried about looking better than others or or bolstering themselves, right? That's not what's at the forefront of the mind here. That's not what Christ was about, right? Boasting or, or arrogance, it's not about making something of yourself. But again, rather for the betterment of the others. It's, it's not about constantly working into conversations. Some, something that you've calculated to make your, yourself look a little better at the end of that conversation than, than maybe what you really are. Right? Honestly, that was convicting for me. The next word we get is rudeness. Again, if, you, if you're in the ESV. Listen, it's true. Love absolutely confronts people in their sin. Absolutely. Right? Speaking truth into people's lives that that need to hear it is a good thing. But if you're constantly walking away from situations where you have spoken truth, but everybody leaves hurt and angry because the way you said it was rude or, or quick to anger, then there's a problem with your love here. In fact, it kind of falls into that next category, right? Insisting in your own way. When, when we genuinely love other people, we genuinely hope that that other person sees Christ. It's not about pounding them into submission of what you think is right or what you think is right for their life. And then within the context of the church, it's, it's about hoping that your church will truly glorify God. Right, Your church body will bring glory to God and, and not about your church doing things the way you want because of your preferences. Right? It doesn't insist in its own way. Irritable. So, I went to do uh, a Google search last night. My wife and I were actually talking on the way here. We were talking about the word fantastic and talking about, like, sometimes we read the definition in, in the dictionary and we're like, D- do we actually use this word right? And so, last night, it was kind of that same thing. I was like, I just want to make sure, like, I, I, I know what irritable means. I mean, I think I do. But it brought me down this whole rabbit hole. and. When I did a Google search of irritable, I found out that it is actually now a medical condition. We are, ir, ir, being irritable is a medical condition. I'm not lying, right? Healthline.com says, most people feel irritable from time to time. For example, it's normal to feel cranky after a poor night's rest. Some people feel irritable on a more regular basis. If you find that irritability is interfering with your daily life, talk with your doctor, they can help you identify some potential causes of irritability. Listen, I'm not trying to like make light of irritability here. In fact, it's like the opposite of what I'm doing. Paul is telling us that irritability isn't a symptom from a medical condition. It's a symptom of not understanding God's love. That's way more important than a medical condition. As Christians, we've got to stop letting the world tell us that our sin problems aren't sin problems. Irritability is a sin problem, not a medical condition. So then we get resentful. And again, if we look at the problems within, when, within the Corinth church, we understand why Paul Paul's putting this word in here, resentful, right? The potential for these Christians to be resentful or bitter towards others when others, when people are constantly trying to paint themselves in a better light or say their spiritual gifts are better than theirs or say that they're better than the other Christian, you would absolutely have a temptation here to get resentful. And Paul's telling us that there's no room for this in love. Ephesians 4.31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Right? There's no room for this resentfulness or this bitterness in church or in your your relationships with others, right? This is the opposite. Why is this so important? This is the opposite of God's attitude towards us. When we're in Christ, there's no fuming from God saying, oh man, how could these people be doing those things, right? That's the opposite of the gospel. If we're harboring anger, if we're resentful towards others, if we're bitter towards others, then we're neglecting The fundamental truth that gets us life. We are all sinners, and we all need a Savior, and we don't deserve any of it. What right do I have as a sinner to hold my brother's sin against him when the God of all creation doesn't hold our sins against us? We also see that love rejoices in truth, not wrongdoing. This is something that we, we really need to make crystal clear here, right? Bearing with someone in love is not the same as celebrating someone's sin. Right? Bearing with someone in love is not the same as celebrating someone's sin. This idea that we would partake or endorse someone's sinfulness and then call, in, call it right, loving people to see Jesus is, is ridiculous. Right? We see this in our culture today. We see this among Christians in our culture today. Right? And we see it on this big grand Spectrum, right? We see it in, 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 like with, with Christians who will walk with people at um, pride parades or, 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 th- or, or things like that. But then also in, in our community group, we've been talking about respectable sins, and, and you've got to evaluate yourself, right? As, as I was reading this, I'm trying not to just take my view and say, oh, our culture does this, our culture does this, but I do this, right? How do I walk with people in their respectable sins and, and, and in me walking with them, endorse those, right? We can't just always take things and say, oh, our culture does this, they're bad, we're good, right? We are broken too. It is bad. That is bad. We should be aware of that. But we should also be aware of our hearts in this. Bearing with someone in love is is saying to them, yeah, your sin hurt me. Yeah, what you did wasn't good. But I'm going to walk with you. And then we're going to rejoice, right? It says it rejoices in truth. We're going to rejoice. When you see the truth of your sin, when you repent of your sin, even if you don't see your sin as sin right now, right? That's bearing with someone in love. I, I do just want to make a quick side note here. I, I didn't know if I should do this or not, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, while this passage isn't applying strictly to marriage relationships, it absolutely applies to marriage relationships. And I just want to say that if you find yourself here and you are in abusive or, or domestic, some type of domestic violence situation, bearing with someone in love isn't, isn't, that doesn't mean you have to be physically there with them, right? Get safe. Like, get, get somewhere safe. And if, and if you find your, yourself in a situation like that, talk with someone here at church. There's a lot of people that can point you. We've got biblical counselors here. We have, we have policemen here, right? Like, don't go to a situation that's unsafe. It doesn't mean you're not bearing with that person in love, right? Pray and, and things like that. didn't want anyone to walk away thinking that there was encouragement to go put themselves at harm. And then we see that that it, it bears all things right love believes all things love hopes all things love endures all things you, you don't get any contingencies here right there's no room for for outs or, or these these plans that we have to get out of loving someone all things right we see it it bears all things it believes of others all things it hopes for others all things it endures all things there's no contingencies and if it's People within the church, were doing this, right? If, if we're doing this, we're, we're pursuing this through the Spirit, then our, then our church is going to be a church that will last. Why? Because love never ends, right? This brings us to our last point. Love never ends. So let's read again, 8 through 13, um, and, then, and then we'll break this down. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. When Christ comes back, all these spiritual gifts that the Corinthians are, are making much of themselves with, that they think is cool, or they're like, hey, look at me, like, I can do this thing. right? All, all of that, all, all the ones that they're, they're talking a lot about are going to be gone. And, and I do, so, quick caveat here. I say, I would say when Christ comes back, right? You look at verse 10 and it says, but when the perfect comes, I feel like that's referring to when Christ comes back. There are other people, which is which is fine, there are people that would look at this and they would say that that, um, when the perfect comes, refers to, like, the perfect canon, or the Bible as we know it, right? The Bible as we know it. And we, and we have the Bible as we know it now, and so... They would, they would call themselves a cessationist, and they would say that a lot of these, like, fantastical, miraculous gifts um, have ceased, right? They have ceased now. Even today, they have completely ceased, right? That's, that's what a cessationist would say. That's how they would read verse 10. I'm not going to, like, beat my view over your head. Like, no, look at it this way. I, mean, I don't think that would be loving, but um, I, I will say that I think when you read this, it, it, like, it talks about knowledge, right? It says that... that um, knowledge, we'll, we'll know whole, right? We, we don't know everything now. And, and so I feel like when you read verse 10, it's referring to Christ coming back, right? When Christ actually comes back. Um, again, I, I think functionally, a cessationist and myself wouldn't, wouldn't be that different. I, I think that a lot of these miraculous gifts were, were for the confirming of the gospel, right? That was the purpose of them. So do I think there could be an instance where you're, like out in the mission field and, and there's, a, there's a tribe that had never heard the gospel before and confirmation of the gospel needs to take happen and maybe some miraculous gifts happen. In that case, yeah, but I don't think that, especially in America, where you can walk like a mile and get to a church, right? There's, there's pretty evidence that, that whether you reject it or not, the confirmation of the gospel has happened here. I, I don't think that they're like crazy prevalent in, in these churches, and I definitely don't think that these miraculous gifts, right? Speaking in tongues, healing, prophesying, um, are things that you can give to others or like go to school for, right? Um, so, so, functionally, I think we're in the same place, but um, just to drive the point of this, this passage, right? When Christ, when Christ comes back, Paul's telling him, when Christ comes back, these tongues that you're so proud of, they're going to be gone, right? Whether it's earthly language or heavenly language, um Regardless, the, the prophecy is going to pass away. Why? Because when Christ comes back, all, all prophecy is, is fulfilled, right? Knowledge will pass away. Why? Because knowledge is going to be revealed, right? In eternity, what remains? Right? We're, we are in this dimly lit mirror of what is going to be, right? It's, it's, it says it here, right? We're in this dimly lit mirror of what's going to be fully known. And, and, and what remains when, when Christ comes back and, and a new heaven and a new earth are made, and we get to dwell with Him eternally, what remains? Love. And if this, if this is the love of heaven, then let's pursue it here. First John 4.8 says, Anyone who does not... Oh, sorry. So then, so then he says, um, these three remain uh, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why, why love? Why, why does Paul say the greatest of these is love? There's a lot of passages where you'll see these kind of work together and he, from, in Paul's writings, right? Here, we see him, him claim love is the greatest. Why? Uh, well, 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, right? Both our faith and our hope are in what? They're in God. And what is God? God is love, right? So, so why do we have faith? Because God's greatest act of love was Christ on the cross, right? Why do we, we have faith? Because of God's love. Why do we hope? We hope because of God's love for us. Right? What's coming? We hope in what's coming. When you are in these situations that are incredibly hard, what do you put your hope in? You put your hope in, in, in the the new creation, right? And that comes from God's love for us. So so you see this faith and this hope, while vital, are driven by love. The last thing I want to share before we close. Um, if you're like me and, 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 and you were reading through this passage or you were reflecting on this passage, um, it's it it's beautiful. It's beautiful to read, right? It's almost poetic, but it's really, really convicting. Um, I was, honestly, like the last two weeks, I was kind of a train wreck in my classroom because I was like, I can either take control of my class or I can be nice, right? And, and as a teacher, I was just like, this is tough. Like, this is really hard. Um, and so I just want to I want to make sure that we remember that our justification comes in how well Christ did this, not how we do this, right? Our justification comes in how well Christ did this, not how well we do this. That's not an excuse to not work on these things, right? We we should intentionally, these are action items, right? We should work on them. We should work hard on them. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul writes, But by the grace of God I am what I am, And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was was in me. So you read these, and you think about situations in your life where you're failing at these. Try, like try harder at them. But understand, the only reason you even have this conviction to try harder at them is because of the grace of God, right? So, So our justification isn't how well we do these but we should absolutely try to do these well. And then also pray, right? Think about areas where you're falling short. Ask God for forgiveness. Forgiveness comes from God. Pray to God, ask Him for forgiveness, and then just pray that you can do these. Pray that the Spirit will help you to do these well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You again for Christ. We thank You for... For the cross. And, and we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. God, as we, we know that we have the Holy Spirit within us, help us to, to go out and to work hard at loving people in the church well, at, at loving our spouses well, our families well. God, help us not to ignore the words that described love here, right? If, if we are resentful or bitter towards someone, but somehow are, are classifying it as love, Help us to reject that because that's a lie. God, help us to be open and honest with ourselves, with you, with with other believers. God, you know us. You know where we fail at these. You know where I fail at these. So Lord, convict us. Bring us to repentance and and then help us to try hard knowing that it's you. God, we love you. Uh, We thank you. And, And most of all, we thank you that Our justification isn't on how well we do this, but on the fact that Christ did it perfectly. Love you, Lord. Amen.